Now, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest! is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's take a moment and pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Loving God, we thank you yet again for this great privilege that we have to meet around your word. And again, our desire is that we might be changed by your word. So we ask as we receive your word this morning that your Holy Spirit might plant it deep within our hearts, cause it to rise within us and bear good fruit in our lives. Please change us even into the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. This morning we come to think about our speech, our words, and the things we say. Let me give you a couple of statistics as we begin. On an average day, um, men speak about 7,000 words. You can see where this is going. Um, Whereas women speak about 20,000 words. Now, if you do the maths, that means women speak about three times more than men in any given day. Now, I'm not commenting, I'm merely presenting the facts. And apparently, both men and women average about 500 to 700 words of actual value. That is, words that are communicating something of importance. Now, if these statistics tell us anything, it's probably that we say too much. James issues a very clear warning to us 
to be careful with our words. In fact, he has quite an emphasis on our words through his letter. He refers to our words twice in chapter 1, um, extensively here in chapter 3, and further again in chapter 4. We saw from chapter 1 that our words reveal whether our relationship with God is sincere and genuine. Words are one of those works or good deeds or righteousness that comes from the gospel working out in our lives. But why does James spend so much time on words in particular? Well, I think the answer is given to us in our passage this morning. Words are very powerful. Words are extremely difficult to control. And words reveal our hearts perhaps more than anything else. Before we think about those three points, I just want to look at verses 1 and 2, because James begins this section firstly by referring to those who are either involved or would like to be involved in regular teaching ministry. And again to these people, he issues a warning. Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The role of teaching was a role for those who were both knowledgeable in the scriptures and also able to apply the scriptures to their own life. Teaching scriptures was viewed as a prestigious role, so many would desire it for that. But James is saying, hold on a minute, and he gives a warning to those who desire to become teachers of God's word. Because, of course, it's a great privilege to be able to teach God's word, but with that comes great responsibility. Jesus says in Luke 12, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. In Acts 20, as Paul addressed the Ephesian elders, those primarily responsible for teaching, Paul encourages the elders to teach the whole counsel of God, not shying away from anything in Scripture, and to pay careful attention to yourselves, that is, your godliness, the application of Scripture to your own life. Now, of course, a teaching ministry primarily involves words. And James is saying to those desiring to be involved in teaching ministry, saying very simply, watch your words. The, the actual words that you teach, watch what you're saying. Because as you teach, people will hold on to what you say. Are you prepared? Are you confidently presenting clear truth from Scripture? But also, watch your words at all times. Be sure that the other words you use match the words you teach. In other words, be sure that your character matches your teaching. If you're involved here in, in regular teaching ministry, whether that's at Sunday services, women's group, 
um, Sunday school or jam, James is he's not wanting to put you off, and certainly neither am I, but he is wanting to impress the seriousness of God's call to this role. James includes himself in this verse too. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James is not saying that we need to be perfect before we're involved in teaching, or even that we will be perfect. Perfect man is the same as chapter 1, verse 4, where James refers to that final day when we will be complete, perfect, and whole. But there's the sense here that if you can control your tongue, then your whole body, your whole person, your whole life will follow after. Remember when I was teaching piano, I always got students to focus on the difficult bars, which they really hated. They wanted to be able to play the easier bits because they could play them and it was more enjoyable. But I would often say to them, once you've got the difficult bars, you've got the whole piece. And James is saying to these people, if you can control the most difficult member of your body, if you can conquer the sin of the tongue, well then really the rest will be plain sailing. Now this brings us on to think about the power of the tongue, verses 3 to 6. James places an emphasis on our words because words are powerful. Think right back to the beginning of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did God create the heavens and the earth? By his word. And you see that repeated phrase through Genesis 1. And God said, and God said. You you will see it 11 times. Now, you turn over to Genesis 3, and we read the serpent said to the woman. Then the woman said to the serpent. God said to Adam, what have you done? Adam said to God and began to blame Eve. You see? The creation of the entire world and all that was good came about by the power of words. The fall of the entire world and all that was evil came about by the power of words. Words are powerful, either for good or for evil. James is pressing upon us here that words are powerful because they direct all of our lives. The tongue is small in our body, and yet it exercises power out of all proportion to its size. James gives us three illustrations to make his point. And each showing how something small has great consequences. The first we see in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, 
we guide their whole bodies as well. So the bit is very small in comparison to the horse, and yet it is able to direct the course of the large animal. Words can direct the entire course of our lives. Kind and loving words can lead us to fall in love and be married. Harsh and hateful words can lead to breakdown and divorce. Think of just a few comments from a parent to a child that never leave the child and can direct the entire course of their life, either for good or for bad. Think of just one comment from a teacher at school or one comment from a friend or so-called friend at school that remains with someone that makes the focus of their life all about either their ability or their appearance. Words in politics, they have the power to direct the course and direction of an entire country either to unite or divide. See, the tongue is small has huge effect. The second illustration, verse 4, look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And again the point is that the rudder is very small and yet can direct an entire ship. I believe here the ship is referring to our body, our life. Um, The pilot is referring to our desires. Um, The rudder is referring to our mouth. Uh, And the storms are external influences. Now the word strong can mean hard or rough or cruel. And of course life will bring circumstances to us that are hard and rough, and cruel. And often the course through and beyond those circumstances is dependent upon our words. And when difficult circumstances come, whether that's at home or work or, or whatever they may be, and they cause us to be stressful and fearful and weary, often that can be our excuse to let our tongues loose complain, we moan, we blame, we snap, we rage. And that directs our course through and beyond difficult circumstances. But on the contrary, the tongue is the power to achieve controlled and consistent godly living both through and beyond difficult circumstances. James says, verse 5, So also, like the bits and the rudder, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, boast here is negative. It is an arrogant presumption before God. Perhaps within these difficult external circumstances that come, we're quick to question God, to question who he is, and what he might be doing in this world. Or perhaps his boastful comments about others. You ever heard someone say something like, you see that man, you see when I, when I see him, I'm ready for him. I'm ready for him. 
Or you come away, and maybe you say to your family friend, after seeing that man, you say, do you know what? I saw your man, and I just give it to him. And what does your friend say? Well, you're just right. You're just right. See? (laughs) There's an arrogant boasting. Then James uses the illustration of a fire, verse 5. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And here the point is, again, the tongue is small, and yet, and yet, can cause such destruction and devastation. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Of course, that's nonsense, isn't it? It's nonsense. Because words can hurt much deeper, they can take much longer to heal than any cut or bruise. We have two shelves in our kitchen and at Christmas we often put candles on the top shelf and a garland on the bottom shelf and one evening I was lighting the candles and I shook the match out rather than blowing it and just one tiny spark hit the garland and it went straight into flames. Scared the life out of me. But it completely destroyed the garland and part of the shelf and I couldn't help thinking if I just walked straight out of the room and hadn't actually realised it had gone up in flames, what would have happened? Now that's small in comparison to a forest fire that again begins with something so small and yet causes mass destruction, even taking dozens of lives. See, the tongue is frighteningly destructive. It's just a tiny piece of gossip to ruin a friendship or destroy a reputation. Just one small criticism, that's enough to to knock someone out of ministry permanently. Just a joke with a jag that rips away self-confidence that's never able to be repaired. James says, verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's like our tongues are devoted to all that is opposed to God. They, they represent more than anything else in our lives the sinful, destructive world in which we live. He says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. A course of life can literally mean the wheel of existence. It's just talking about life from beginning to end. Through their sins and temptations that we often struggle with, but at different times in our lives. And often they pass with different seasons. But it's not like that with the tongue. Because from our first to last days, the tongue remains a strong temptation. And James says it's set on fire by hell. That is, the tongue that each of us have here this morning is Satan's vehicle or instrument for ruin and destruction and devastation. Remember as Jesus spoke about his death and resurrection and Peter rebuked him for speaking like this. Peter couldn't see that Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus turned to Peter and what did he say to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. 
See, the tongue can be a powerful force in the hands of Satan, but the tongue can be a greater force in the hands of God. Remember the day of Pentecost? And tongues of fire representing the power and presence of God rested on each believer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of them being filled with the Holy Spirit was so they could speak and speak the very words of God. That is, Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death in place of sinners, his glorious resurrection giving us life forever. And do you know what happened as they proclaimed the word of God? Wish God's Spirit moved like wildfire across the world, bringing new life and transformation. You see, James rightly warns us of the dangers of the tongue under the power of Satan. But God has given us in his Son a much greater purpose for our words under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to see the power of God at work, then we've got to open our mouths and speak the words of God. And may that be our focus for our words. Words are powerful. And we need an emphasis on our words, secondly, because, well, words are extremely difficult to control. See that in verse 7 to 8. Look at what James says, verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. A human experience makes this point loud and clear to us. How difficult it is to control our tongues. All kinds of animals can go under training for a period of time and be tamed and controlled. But it's not just as easy as that with our tongues. They're a restless evil. One writer says they're always liable to break out full of deadly poison, always liable to break out and cause harm. I wonder when you think back over your life and relationships, um, what are your biggest regrets? Well, I know what mine are. Things I've said. Things I've said. I think even within my own family, I don't have regrets of not buying them more, or I don't have regrets of not going on more holidays or investing more time in this or that or the other thing. But I do deeply regret things I've said. You're engaged in conversation with someone and you walk away cringing, thinking, why did I say that? Why did I say that? You see, because our tongues are so difficult to control, we've got to be on the ball. The old Irish proverb, little said is easy mended, and nothing said needs no mending. How true that is. 
Do you know, it's better to leave someone thinking, I should have said that, rather than I shouldn't have said that. Because we can go away, we can think it over, we can return and say perhaps what we should have said. But of course we all know, once the words are out, we can never take them back. How much harm could be prevented if we simply said nothing at different times? And we want to strive to take control with our words in our mind also. You ever had an imaginary argument? Um, someone has offended you, and you play out in your mind, or well, when you see them, all the things they need to hear, what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. We can imagine all sorts of conversations in our minds, can't we? Now, we might never verbalize it, but there the words are racing around in our minds, causing havoc. And we need to take great caution with our words on social media. David Gibson says, I I love this, he says, the existence of Twitter, or perhaps whatever social media platform you use, he says, the existence of Twitter means that never before have so many with so little to say said so much quickly. Again, isn't that so true? You know, someone posts something often intentionally controversial and everyone just bites on it. They get their tuppence worth in. Just can't help themselves. My advice for what it's worth on social media, don't say anything. And particularly, never comment negatively. Perhaps you don't comment publicly But again, we think of our minds, you love a good scroll through what everyone else is saying or posting and you let your tongue loose in your mind or whoever's sitting beside you, they they get it. See, we haven't been able to control our tongues. That's so obvious to all of us. We speak and we're condemned before God. Our words prove us sinful and guilty, deserving God's punishment and judgment. But Jesus Christ committed no sin with his words. We read in First Peter, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live righteousness. See, this is the wonder of the gospel. That God chose to punish Christ who had no sin in place of us who have great sin that we might be brought near to God. And this brings us to our final point that words reveal our hearts. Verses 9 to 12. We need an emphasis on our words because words reveal our hearts. And of course, we've seen that this is where James is pushing us to all the time, to examine our hearts. And James is showing us here that even those who know the love of God and Christ, their words often reveal that their love and loyalty to God is divided. 
He says, verse 9, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. We stand here on Sunday at 11, we sing praise, aware of the greatness and worth of God. And yet perhaps there's times we aren't even beyond the gate before we've slandered a brother or sister. How can we lift high God's name in one moment and the next moment run down those whom God has made in his own image and likeness? James says, brothers, this ought not to be so. Again, he gives us three illustrations to make his point. i just read over these briefly. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Okay, it's very simple, isn't it? You can't get two types of water from one tap. If there's salty water there, the water will come out salty. Again, verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Whatever the tree is, that is the fruit you will get. An apple tree will give you apples. A pear tree will give you pears. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What do you get from a salt pond? You get salt water. Again, we see here James is relying on the teaching of Jesus. Remember who Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus also said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what is in our hearts comes out in our words. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. I wonder as your words open up your heart, what do they reveal? Wholehearted love for God or a heart that is divided and torn in its love? God. You see, it's not our words that need changed, but our hearts. Angry words reveal an angry heart. Better words reveal a better heart. Unloving words reveal little love for Jesus. Now, if we want our words to be different, We go to God our Father recognizing that our love is often divided. Thank him for his forgiveness in Christ and ask him to change us from within by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray and do that just now. So let's pray together. Our God and Father, as we we come before you, we are all too aware that our hearts, our love for you is often divided. But God, how perfect your love for us is, sending Christ to die in our place when we were unworthy and undeserving of your love. God, specifically as we think of our speech, 
We know we deserve your punishment. And yet we thank you that in Christ there is forgiveness. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us continually to change us from within. And God, that is simply what we ask this morning, that you would change our hearts. That you would give us hearts that have a deep love for Jesus. That within our hearts we would have a longing to praise you for your great salvation. Father, may the overflow of our hearts be loving, encouraging words that build up. May we speak the wonders that you have done in Christ. How he lived and died and rose again and how he will return. God, as we proclaim the truth of your Son with our mouths, may your Spirit move in power, bringing life and transformation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Come to the Lord's table again, and as it is here, we know we are forgiven. Let's read again those words from first words from First Peter for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ, the sinless one, suffered in the place of sinful ones to bring us to God. Christ suffered once for sins. The punishment has been taken. The price for sin has been fully paid. And so we never need to fear God, his judgment, or his punishment. But we can rest forever in his presence because Christ suffered in our place. So let's come to God again and let's give thanks for Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, we are thankful and humbled um, to be around your table again this morning. We are thankful for this bread and this cup, and um, pointing us again to Christ, his life, his death in our place, dying for our sin, taking your punishment. And Father, we are in wonder again that it was your will to crush him, that we might be brought near to you. So God, as we eat and drink, may gratitude and praise rise within our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.